So I'm going to start with this. Easter has always been a scandal. Paul said it first in Corinthians. He said it's foolishness for anybody that's got half a brain. It's a scandal for anybody with a lick of sense. Now hearing that and knowing that as part of our tradition, we have tended to see this scandal this way. We assert that something supernatural happened. We assert that a dead corpse came to life. Hey, Grampy, if they're going to be moving, you want to kick the door shut? We assert that something that disrupts the scientific worldview happened, and asserting that the laws of nature got trumped, that seems to be the scandal. But from the beginning, that was never the scandal, because that's not the world that they lived in. This whole scientific framework about the laws of nature, that's a relatively recent occurrence in history. And so at the time when Easter was a scandal, that wasn't it. That's our scandal, to be sure, and in past Easter's we've spoken about that part. But the scandal at the time that Easter was born, the very first Easter, was not that someone vanquished death, but who did it? The scandal was not that someone conquered the grave. It was who it was that conquered the grave. The really big problem back then was that something divine happened to someone who rejected the religion of the day. Now, you're sure that this sounds normal to you? All right, I'll tell you what, I'll do this. So here's what happened back then. Something profound happened. Something divine happened. Something moved. And they were sure it happened to somebody that God had rejected. In their minds, they put this guy in the ground because he deserved it. They put him in the ground because he was the problem. They put him in the ground because he was the one that God had clearly spoken against. And his God story was wrong. And so he told a story that was very different than the story that was being told. In fact, his story is very different than most stories that are told by our human instincts. The story that this guy told was that God does not punish the bad and reward the good. That was scandalous. He told a story where God loved the just and God loved the unjust. Scandalous. In Jesus' story, forgiveness was not earned It just was scandalous. In his story, we all share an intrinsic oneness with God. Yes. You know, I'm doing that, and it sounded even... This is better? One, two, three, one, two, three. Can we make this one work? Oh, thank God. How about that? Still working? (laughs) Right. No, it's not working. No, I'm telling you, it's not I'll tell you what we're going to do. You be real quiet and sure they had done the will of God. So the scandal comes about when all of a sudden their expectations about the way things are were upended. Somehow the spirit of Jesus, the Christ spirit that was inside this man, the Logos spirit, the divine life spirit, that was in Jesus, didn't die off when they killed him. As a matter of fact, that life that was in Jesus began to grow and begin to expand, and that was scandalous, because that wasn't supposed to happen, because his story was wrong. How could God do something so profound when someone's story was so clearly wrong? 
when people experience this death can't overcome event of Jesus, the implications just kind of broke everything they understood. It meant that the moorings of human expectation were broken. The moorings of human society were broken because we discovered that violence is not God's way. Up until then, and even to today, we sometimes think that violent communication, violent action is justified when we're on the side of God. And Jesus' story said, it's not that way. Might does not make right. Fear is not the God way. Fear is not God truth. Faith is. Trust is. God is good, and we are safe. And today we celebrate the scandal. Today we celebrate that this story that got Jesus killed lives today. That these expectations went into the ground and died and have borne the fruit of new life again and again and again and again. Paul said about Jesus, he was the firstborn of many many who experienced this newness of life. But even though that's the scandal that we celebrate today, don't make the mistake into thinking we've all got it, because sadly, those instincts die hard. And even many who celebrate Easter today are still functioning in and living in those same expectations. God is not good, and I am not safe. I am sinful. I am unworthy. I am not precious, and therefore I must earn my preciousness. I've got to go out and do these religious rituals so I can earn my preciousness. I've got to go out and make sure I do the right prayers and say the right words and do the right actions because the idea that God's grace and forgiveness and mercy just are is still scandalous. So even though we celebrate Easter, the message of Easter still tweaks our instincts, our thoughts. But Jesus' story was this. Old ways go into the ground and die. And then life is resurrected. Old truths go into the ground and die. And life overcomes. Old versions of self we've been talking about. The strength of ego self and how that compares to the divine center self go into the ground and die, and then life explodes. Seed go, seeds go into the ground, and life surprises us. Newness of life, Paul called it. Fear and anxiety that motivates most of the lives that we live goes into the ground and dies, and a new life begins to emerge. Awareness that God is good we are safe, begins to bring about new life. The hostility response that we have most of our life to the threats that we feel to our ego strategies that we've built up in order to make our lives work for us die. An awareness that God is good and we are safe lives. Outgrouping of people. We do that in order to make ourselves feel safe because at the core, we don't. At the, don't. at the core, the fear instincts are still functioning. At the core, the I am not precious instincts are still functioning. 
And so in order to make ourselves feel better, we band together with our kind of people and we say, we are us and they are them and we will be here in and they will be there out. But when that dies, when God is good and we are safe, we no longer need to outgroup Muslim people or gay people or rich people or poor people or people who look differently than we do or who speak differently than we do or who spend their money differently than we do or who vote differently than we do because outgrouping dies and embracing the outsider lives. Newness of life. And when these old instincts die, there is an old guard that's inside of each one of us that gets really upset. There is inside of us an old protective system around all of those instincts that still is scandalized by the message of Easter. It's just too free. It's just too hopeful. Where's the earning? Where's the doing? Where's the justice? Because if this Yahoo over here doesn't do it, that's just not fair. There's just too much freedom for it to be true. And that is still scandalous to us because our instincts are deeply held and they come to define us. And even so, Jesus invites us to throw them into the ground and let them die with the promise that on the other side, there is a new kind of life. A set of expectations that go into the ground one way come out as something very different. And that's scandalous so much so that many can't handle it. So what we try to do in the Christian tradition is to domesticate Jesus. We try and keep him around, but take the scandal out of what he says and how he lives. We soften up his words and we soften up his ways and we try to mute their meaning so that we can give ourselves the option to keep our basic instincts intact. That we can keep our enemies our enemies. And that we can keep spending our money the way that we spend our money. And we can keep our fears defining us and being our fears. And we can keep in-grouping the in-group and out-grouping the out And when we do that, we miss the reason why today is important. We miss the reason why we celebrate seeds that go into the ground and die. Expectations that go into the ground and die. Old frameworks, old beliefs, old gods, old selves that go into the ground and die. And out of the newness of life comes a way of being that did not exist before. And that is the message of Jesus, that there is a newness of life on the other side. That is the message of Easter. There's newness of life on the other side. Easter is not only about one man, one corpse, one experience. It is a template experience for all of us. As I mentioned, that's what Paul said, the firstborn of many borns. You and I are born into the same death life paradigm that Jesus modeled for us. All of us born into newness of life. The newness of life that invites another set of instincts because God is good and we are safe. And if God is good and if we are safe, then the alien and the stranger and the refugee that has always been something we've been told to do becomes a natural expression 
of our interior being to invite the Samaritan woman and the Roman legionnaire and the whore and the addict and the criminal and the collaborator to invite them into the divine oneness and people of other religions and people of no religion at all to invite these people into the welcoming oneness of divine community. That's a new life. That's not the life we live. That's death to an old set of instincts and life to a new. And it invites us to let go of some basic framing realities that have defined us and have defined the shrunken little lives that we so often live, even though we would name the name of Jesus, even though we would celebrate this great day. So we let our shadow lives fall into the ground and die, and we experience newness on the other side. That's the scandal of Easter. So that's a great big, big idea. That's a great big, big experience. It's history changing, it's world changing, it always has been. But today, I want to tell you a very small story about how that idea works out in the life of one very young woman, my daughter. I asked her permission to tell you this story, and she freely granted it. My daughter, Haven, is on the cusp of a brand new life. She has a new husband who she loves dearly. She has a new job. She just got a job this week as a nurse. She uh, has finished up her nursing school. She's, well, she's almost finished it up. She's got a few weeks left. She's got the possibility and hope that there will be children coming, that there will be a family, and there will be this new life that is beginning. And she is starting to love deeply. She's loving her husband deeply. She's loving the life that they are imagining together deeply. She's loving the possibility of the career that's before her deeply. Now, for some time, she's found herself awakening in the night hours, consumed with anxiety. Because as she's been doing her nursing internships, she sees what life does to people. And that is that death and disease are equal opportunity visitors. Good people and bad people have car accidents. Rich people and poor people get heart attacks. Christian people and atheist people contract tumors. Bad stuff happens. And she begins in the back of her mind or else somewhere deep that she can't even articulate out loud to think, what if the life that I'm coming to love so deeply was to be taken from me? And without being able to pin down and name that reality, she just finds herself with a general sense of anxiety. And so after listening to her talk for a little while as she came to talk with me about this, let her kind of talk it out, and then we paused for a little bit. And then I told her about our text this morning. And I said, here's what we're talking about at church these days. Unless a grain of wheat goes into the ground and dies, it doesn't bear fruit. And I said, I'm going to suggest, sweetie, that you've got a grain of wheat that might could afford to die. Now, your seed might be talked about this way. Your seed could be 
You've got an Our Father Who Art in Heaven seed. Now, if you've got an Our Father Who Art in Heaven seed, you've got this. You've got a basic tradition that you inherited, and she's a compliant child. She's a lovely child, and she, she's not a child anymore. She was a compliant child, a lovely child, and she would, would just, whatever the Sunday school teacher told her, she would take it and run with it, and she was just a, a wonderful child to raise, easy child to raise. But now she here, here she is embracing the Christian story in a way that isn't working for her. Because she's got our Father who art in heaven, and then she's got our Father who art here on earth, and that is her dad. And her dad would move heaven and earth to make life work for her. And now she's going to the hospital and saying, my Father who art in heaven isn't doing for his children what my Father who's here on earth would do for me. And all of a sudden she begins to feel a disconnect at a level she can't articulate and speak out loud, it's just rumbling around inside of her being. And I said, sweetie, it seems like you've got this deep thing going on inside of you, wondering if your father who art in heaven would let that kind of stuff happen to you. And she began to nod quietly. And I said, so something is going to have to go into the ground and die. Maybe you're God. Maybe your Christian faith, maybe your story, something's going to have to go into the ground and die because whatever you've got right now isn't working. And I said, now here's the promise of Jesus, sweetie. That is, if you let this thing die, there is new life on the other side. And I said, so it sounds like your experience in the hospitals is kind of challenging your very deep-rooted sense of God and self and ultimacy, and your experience is that your Godfather is a negligent one at best, perhaps even diabolical, and those things are just happening down inside of you. So I said, maybe if you let that God die, what you might find on the other side is a different God. And we talked together about things that we've talked together as a community about many times that God could be thought of as a rock or as a song or as a river. And then we tapped on this one that we've been talking about recently on the blog and also here uh, on some Sundays about thinking of God as the ground of our being. That's an ancient term. The soil in which we're rooted. The dirt in which we find our being. So if you let God as Father fall into the earth and die you may find that this new God gets to be born, this soil God. And it might be the soil God in which Nick's life is rooted, your life is rooted, and Nick might die one day. And any babies that you might have one day might also die. And that's true because you see it happening in the hospital every day. But if the divine life is the very substance in which your being is planted, the promise of God is that no matter what pain you face, you will always be able to find the divine. Because just as Paul said that he was in God and God was in him, when we think about soil, you can find that that will never not be present in you because it is at the very core who you are. 
that you are in the divine and the divine is in you. And if you lose your husband to cancer, you can find peace and joy on the other side because peace and joy are the fruit of God's spirit and God's spirit is in you. It is like soil that you cannot be separated from. If Auschwitz happens in Raleigh and you lose everything, like Viktor Frankl, you can find love and life and peace even there because love and life and peace are of God and you are of God and God is in you and you are in God it's like soil in which you are planted you can no more be apart from soil than the tree can it's that way and if your brother falls off a mountain while he's off there in the Andes climbing on his great adventure And if your mother dies to a horrible disease, if everything that you have is taken from you, what cannot be taken from you is the very essence of what it means to be human. And that is, as human beings, our story tells us right at the beginning of the book, you are animated by the breath of God. That's what made you not be a lump of clay, was the breath of God was put in you, which means it's always there. And you can always find it. No matter what happens to you, love is in you and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. Everything that you will ever need is already in you. It is the soil in which you are planted. And the story of Jesus is that if you let your fear stories die, if you let your shame stories die, If you let the basic expectations of what it means to be human die and you pick up this new story, that life is in you for God is in you. The Spirit of God defines who you are. Then, as you put those old beliefs into the ground, a newness of life is waiting on the other side. Big Historical movement, grains of wheat fall into the ground and die. And little girl just about to start out on her life, grains of wheat fall into the ground and die. And the story of Jesus and the scandal of Easter is that when we let those cherished images go, when we let those defining instincts die, let them fall away, there is new life on the other side. And that's what we celebrate today. That's what we remember today. And that's the ancient truth that our Easter is all about. We're going to sing another song. Musicians, you go ahead and come and while we pray. Lord, I pray that as we walk into this newness of life, that our experience would be so transformative that we would be worthy of the scandal that began our tradition. We would be worthy of the scandal of upending all those expectations that have defined human nature for so long. That we would walk into the newness of life that defines the Jesus story. Be that so, Lord. Amen.